Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. We are in Matthew chapter 2 today in our Bibles. Matthew chapter 2, we're going to cover the whole chapter today, and we are working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. We look through the eyes of the Lord Jesus and what He is up to on earth, and really how His perspective and what He has said and what He desires and what He has commanded influences our everyday life and our everyday thinking. And it is especially important in this critical time that we are in in our nation. My gosh, the way that we think is the way that we will live, is the way that we will vote, is the way that we will really run our cities and our families and our nation. And so we need a clear Jesus worldview. And uh, that's what I'm hoping this book is going to bring us back to. The title of the message today is A Tale of Two Kings. Tale of Two Kings. This is sermon number three in our study through the book of Matthew. Our last time together, we saw Joseph, yes, the father, adopted father of Jesus, uh, really live out some very godly things. We know that he never actually said anything or nothing is recorded of him saying anything in the New Testament, but man, his life beamed forth righteousness. He stayed with Mary the mother of Jesus, though she was pregnant by someone else. And he, and he was given the blessing of raising the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God on earth, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. What an incredible opportunity. Today we will see a contrast of two kings, one king who is in the world and one king who is from heaven. And we get to watch the contrasting of these two kings in a story that you're very familiar with, one that we would probably look at around Christmas time. But we will finish the story um, of the full chapter and get a full perspective of these two kings. We are in Matthew chapter 2. We're going to read a few verses together as we dive into God's Word. If you want to stand for the reading of God's Word, you can do so. We always do this to honor the Lord and to remember whose Word we are reading. Uh, It's his, not mine. This is Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him, and assembly, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may too come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with joy, great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the text today, and we thank you for this story. The birth of the Lord Jesus. God, you becoming a baby, coming down into the flesh to become one of us, to live amongst us and to show us how to live. Lord, you you were not born in a palace. You were born in the lowliest of places. You showed us what humility looked like. You showed us what servanthood looked like. You showed us what a true king looks like. We pray, Lord, as we turn our eyes upon you, that we would learn how to live, we would learn how to think, we would learn how to walk in your ways. As we contrast the ways of the world, bless this time as we study your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 1, we read that after Jesus was born, the wise men showed up. The story of Christmas that we are having here in the beginning of September. Don't worry, we'll be back at the story, maybe looking at it from a different perspective in December. But this kind of ruins our story a little bit now, doesn't it? We always forget that the wise men came after Jesus was born. They were not in the delivery room with Mary and Joseph. Common misconception is that they visited him on the night of his birth. Au contraire. In fact, the wise men maybe came days, months, or possibly even years later after Jesus was born. It says there in verse 1, the wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. We know they came from the east. This was a long journey. Uh, We know that the Magi were wise men. And again, it says from the east, most likely Persia or modern day Iran. Yes. Persia or Iran. This means that the wise men traveled 800 to 900 miles to see the Christ child, the Messiah. How could the wise men have known when the Christ would be born? Well, they studied the word of God. They were Bereans. They knew the signs of the times. And they most likely knew the writings of the prophet Daniel. Because in Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 20. Seven, we see a timeline of when Messiah would generally show up on the earth. Probably that mixed with an angel showing up or some type of revelation from the Lord, they were told to follow a star. And somehow they were able to follow this star and find the place in which the Messiah would be. No doubt leading by the Holy Spirit, leading by Almighty God. The Lord led the Israelites in the middle of the wilderness, a pillar by day, uh, a pillar of uh, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Surely he could lead the wise men to uh, the place where the Christ would be born. The wise men came into Jerusalem asking people where the newborn king was. So they were like, we know there's a baby that's been born. Mary was the talk of the town. Remember, she claimed she was a virgin. 
And everybody wanted to know what was going on with this baby. Joseph, no doubt, had told people that angels came to him and told them that this is the Messiah that's about to be born. So there was chatter going on in town. It was in the newspaper. It was on the radio. The news had shown up. Paparazzi were there around the corner shooting, uh, trying to get a shot of the newborn king. They were asking around, trying to figure out where he was. In verse 2, it says the wise men were not following the North Star. They were following his star. And I really like that, that it says the phrase his star, the star that belongs to the babe who is also the creator of the universe. For in him dwelt the fullness of deity. And by him and for him, all things have been created, are held together by him, the text tells us. Verse 2 also says the wise men were believers. They were probably the first Christians, Christians, Christ followers, Messiah identifiers. Maybe the very, very actual first Christians, for they had come to worship him, it says. Praise God. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. He had heard the wise men had potentially found the Messiah. Assembling all the chiefs and priests and scribes of the people, he, Herod, inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Amen a shepherd who will shepherd God's people, the shepherd, the good shepherd. We know Jesus is called. Verse 4, we see that Herod heard the wise men were in town looking for Messiah the Christ, so he consulted his religious leaders around him, the chief priests and the scribes. And the religious leaders in verse 5 and 6 actually got a text right. They actually got some of the scriptures right. This is great. Pharisees can find things out in the Bible from time to time, and they actually got something right. They told Herod, the prophet, I, the prophet Micah said that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So we think, Herod, we know you're over all the region, but we suspect because the prophet Micah said he would be born in Bethlehem that he's probably over there. Now, that is a question for our Jewish friends today. If the pharisaical religious leaders of that day could identify that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem and Herod and the people of that day were believing it enough that Herod would try to wipe out the Messiah to come. Maybe he was actually Messiah. Verse 7 says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. He's like, get those wise men in here. He gets his goons to drag them in. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Yes, I'd love to come and worship him. Sure you would. Herod couldn't figure it out himself. So he gets the wise men to come in there. And he says, please tell me where this Messiah is. But we know that he did not want to go and worship Messiah. He wanted to kill Messiah. Pretty crazy. 
People wanted to kill Jesus the first year of his life. He's born and they're already trying to kill him. Why? Because he is the savior of the world. And the enemy wants to do nothing more than wipe out the savior, destroy the king. He thought on that day on the cross that he was crushing Messiah. Yes, excellent. I've got the Romans. I've got the Jewish religious leaders of that time to put the Messiah, the Christ to death. And now he is dying on a cross like a criminal. Excellent. I have bruised his heel greatly. But God would say, ah, that's cute. I'm actually going to take what you think is destruction and I'm going to use it for my glory. The crucifixion will actually be the sacrifice of the Lamb of God who will take away, wash away the sins of the world. And his heel will crush the head of the serpent on that day, praise God. The babe would grow to be a man who would die for the sins of the world. The plan all along, you will call his name Jesus, Joseph, for he will save his people from their sins. After leaving Herod, the wise men continued to follow his star. And the miracle was that this star actually landed on the house. It came down and shined on it to some degree. It says, verse 9, after listening to the king, the wise men went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. You think of some crazy UFO or something, you know, it's just like there's just glowing thing just like going in the sky and boom, it just all of a sudden rests over the house. Maybe the wise men coming from a distant land were like, where's the palace? Where's the palace where the king's going to be born? They see the star like hovering over this little hut, you know, a little shack out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, what is it doing? Little shed? What is that thing? Is that a barn? Um, hello? You know, where are they staying? Uh, is that a mud hut? This is crazy. Um, star, uh, you, you, is it a few more miles to the left? Like, what are you doing here? And there it is resting over this lowly little cottage where the king of the universe would descend, would come down and become a human like us. Amazing. It says, when they saw the star, verse 10, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They saw it come down in the house and they started freaking out. We think of these solemn wise men in robes, oh, you know, eh, doing their thing, super holy, barely crack a smile. Yeah, right. These guys were high-fiving everywhere. They were celebrating and dancing. They had traveled 800 miles and they found the Christ. That's from here to Colorado on a, on a donkey or a camel. Who knows what they travel on horses trying to find the Christ. And they found the treasure hidden in a field. It would sell everything to gain. They found the treasure, the Christ, the one they had been seeking their whole life. Amazing. They found the Son of God on earth. I can't imagine. Maybe they see the tent from a distance and they, maybe Joseph has a little fire going on in there for Mary and the babe. And they just look and they're like, they see the star come down and they can see just, 
again, the place finally where they had been searching for so long, upwards of a couple of years they could have been searching, using their compass, going around, trying to navigate, trying to find out, asking around, who knows what they went through, and they find the treasure. They were ecstatic. They could not believe what has happened. Verse 11 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, They fell down and worshipped him. They fell down. I love that picture. They didn't take their time getting down. Like, oh, let me clean off my knees. Let me lift up. They fell down and worshipped him. The Apostle John, when he writes the book of Revelation on the island of Patmos, he is an old man at this point, 80s, 90s. It says that when he saw the Lord Jesus, he fell down like a dead man. When he saw the Lord Jesus, he fell down like a dead man and he worshiped the Lord. These wise men, they were wise because they fell down and worshiped. Man, what a word for us today. How many men, how many women, how many families, how many marriages need to fall down and worship the King of Kings. We fall down and worship so many other things in this society. We let it overtake our minds. We let it overtake our beings. We are so focused on it. When is the last time you fell down and worshiped the King on your own? I used to do this a lot um, when I was overseeing a ministry back at uh, Harvest. Just every once in a while during worship, I just felt the call that I needed to call the church to get on your knees. And people were shocked sometimes. They'd be like, I'd be like, family, it's time to get on our knees. And they're like, you can see people looking around like, what? In the middle of a worship song, we're going to, yes, you heard me right. Push the chair out of the way in front of you and let's get on our knees and let's bow down as we were created to do. And man, some of the sweetest times of worship, because either you're staring at carpet, <laughs> trying to sing a song, but you're literally bowed before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and you are communing with Him and doing one of the most beautiful acts as His creation, to just bow before the King. Psalm 95, O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our God, our Maker, for He is our God. And we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. We are called to bow down and worship. And what a beautiful picture of these guys. It could have been three. It could have been five. It could have been 12 wise men. And all of them just fall down and start worshiping. I love this. It says, verse 11, going into the house, they saw the child Mary with his mother. They fell down and worshiped him. Then opened their treasures. They offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I want to make one more reference to them bowing down and worshiping a baby. You don't bow down and worship a baby unless he is God. Yes, deity. We have a Trinity reference here. Almighty God with skin on. The babe. uh, The deity in diapers. Yes, the God-man. The God-babe. Jesus was God with skin on. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, John chapter 1 says. Um, He is the word, and the word was with God, 
And the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are bowing down to him, almighty God. You don't bow down to a baby, um, especially a baby in diapers crying, unless he is almighty God. They got it right. And they gave him three gifts. This is why um, we think there were three wise men, because there were three gifts. But it actually says nowhere in the Bible that there were three wise men. I know it ruins the nativity scene, all your little nativity sets, you know. He's just by double the wise men. You get six of them going there and make sure they're all face down, right? They're all bowing because that's really what happened. They brought the baby gold and frankincense and myrrh. Where is the jammies, the diapers, and the wooden toys for the newborn babe? Who gives these gifts to a baby? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Most people don't even know what this is. But because these were gifts... For a king, you would only bring it to a king. Gold is a precious metal and as such was a very valuable commodity. Its value could very well have financed Joseph and Mary's trip to Egypt when they had to flee from Herod. Frankincense is white resin or gum and it is obtained from a tree by making incisions in the bark and allowing the gum to flow out. It is highly fragrant when burned and was therefore used during worship where it was burned as a pleasant offering to God. So we have the highest price, the highest, most valuable commodity on the planet, gold. Still today, it holds value like never before. And um, back then it did. Then we have frankincense, the incense, the smell that was burnt during the worship unto God. And then we have myrrh, which was a product of Arabia. And it was obtained from a tree in the same manner as the frankincense. It was a spice and it was used in embalming. Yes, the dead. It was also sometimes uh, mingled with wine to form an article of drink. Such a drink was given to the Lord Jesus on the cross when he was about to die. Yes, a picture of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The embalming, the sacrifice, the death on the cross, and his resurrection. Point number one, if you're taking notes, the king of kings gives, the kings of the world take. The king of kings gives, he came to give, and the kings of the world, they just take. There's something I heard just recently on the radio, I thought it was absolutely hilarious, You say, Robin Hood steals from the rich and gives to the poor. I thought, no, he said on on the show, it was so good. He said, Robin Hood didn't steal from the rich. He stole from the kings. He stole from the king. He stole from the government and gave to the poor. It was so good. And I was thinking, it's kind of the other way around these days. Government is taking more and more, stealing more and more taxes more than ever before. California, I hear a 54% uh, tax, uh, income tax uh, hammer may be coming soon to us on top of another 11% sales tax, just more and more. And uh, Robin Hood stole from the king to give to the poor. Uh, I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. But I thought it was funny. The king of kings gives, the kings of the world take. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus' worldview, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve 
people and give himself, his life, a ransom for many. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to give his life in service and sacrifice for people. This is amazing. Everyone on the planet should be giving their life for him. And here he is turning around, giving himself for everyone else. It reminds me of the Apostle Peter when they're in the upper room. And Jesus, all the disciples' feet from walking around barefoot or with their sandals on, uh, they got the dirtiest feet in town, these dirty fishermen. And uh, they come in and uh, guess who gets up? to grab a bowl and start washing everyone's feet. It's not the servant boy or girl over in the corner. No, it's Jesus. The Lord gets down and starts washing between those toes, washing off the dirt on those toenail. And Peter looks at him and says, Lord, what are you doing? Just like we would. Lord, Lord, you can't wash my feet. I'm not worthy for you to wash my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in my kingdom. And then Peter's like, okay, Lord, give me a bath. Just give me the bowl. I'll dump it on me. <laughs> and it's so funny, but it's so beautiful. It is what the Lord does for you and I. If you don't let me, Jesus says to you, if you don't let me wash you clean, you will have no part in my kingdom. You have to let me serve you. I came not to this earth to be served, Jesus says, but to serve you, to give my life as a ransom for you. What a beautiful picture the King of Kings gives. Acts 20 verse 35 says, In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, the Apostle Paul We must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than receive. It is more blessed to give than receive. And I want to ask you today, what gift do you bring to the King of Kings? What gift? What do you have? What do you bring to the King of Kings? We're going to go uh, jump a couple planets to get to heaven uh, he's off to the right, the third kingdom up to off of Mars. Okay, you ready? Okay, you want to go in the throne room first or me? Uh, you go. Okay. You go in. What, what's your little gift? What are you bringing up into the palace of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? Oh, wait. We have no gift. We have no gift to bring that is fit for our King. We don't have anything to bring that is worthy for our king. But listen, family, we don't have to worry. None of us have a gift worthy to bless God. Not one of us. We have no gift worthy for him. But instead, God says, don't worry. I know you don't have anything to bring. You bring all you got. Bring all that sin. Bring all that trash. Bring all those addictions, bring all that junk, everything you got. You got a paper clip, great. You got some lint in your pocket, bring it. You got a bunch of broken marbles, rocks in the gutter, I can use that. You got a sinful past, you have rebellion against me, bring it all to the table, confess it before me, lay it before me, and I will take all of this and use it for my glory. He says, you don't have anything but don't worry in return. I want to give you any, everything anyways. And you say, why would you do that? And he says, because I love you. You are the apple of my eye. 
Behold, can a woman forget her nursing child? Even if she could, Isaiah says, the Lord God cannot forget his people. Behold, he has engraved your name in the palm of his hands. He cannot forget his people. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved for no other reason. It is just an undeserved favor, a grace Through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. No one is boasting about the gift that they have brought to God. Everyone is celebrating about the gift he has brought to us. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God. That's right. The scripture says free gift of God. It's free, but it was not cheap. It was a priceless gift. It cost everything. It cost the blood of the Son of God for our sin to be forgiven. And Jesus has paid that price. The King of Kings comes to give. The kings of the world come to take. We have the greatest king in the universe. I will not serve any of the kings of the earth. I'm sorry. I do not pay allegiance to any king on the earth. You are a pawn in the hand of my God for a moment so that he can accomplish his purposes, whether Pharaoh or you name it. It doesn't matter who it is. He is in the hands of God and Lord. the Lord is carrying out his ultimate plan on the earth. The baby was born to grow up, live a perfect life, and die for the sins of the world to offer you the gift of eternal life. Me too. Amazing. You came with no gift worthy for a king, and he brings the greatest gift of all for you. Grace upon grace upon grace. He lavishes and pours blessings, mercies, and promises and forgiveness upon you all the days of your life. The big question that I have is why? When you look at the church today, when you look at the people, we are not perfect people. We are broken people who are being healed, restored, redeemed, resurrected by a Savior. Praise God. And I'm thankful. But we have nothing great to bring before Him. He has brought and done everything. We don't deserve it. And so, family, I gladly give my life back to Him. I'm not doing this because I have to. I live for God because I want to. My motivation to live for Him is His love for me. It is not that we loved him, but he loved us first. Herod came to take power. Jesus came to give power. The Christ came to fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Can you believe that? Jesus came to fill us with more of him. It is absolutely amazing that he would do this for us. Herod, we will see the opposite. He is coming to take, take, take for himself selfishly. Verse 12 says, And being warned in a dream, Joseph, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So we get a first warning about potential threat about Herod in a dream. Remember, the baby Jesus has been born. The wise men have shown up and found him. They don't tell Herod what's going on. And all of a sudden, Herod has a suspicion about this. Like, where are the wise men and why haven't they reported back? Why aren't they telling me what's going on? Of course, they're protecting the Lord Jesus. And all of a sudden, the Lord shows up and reveals to Joseph by an angel that they need to get out of town. Verse 13 says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, 
Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Scary, but man, I love that God is behind the scenes. He's like, um, angels, come on in here. Okay, um, we got a little thing we got to do today. Okay, um, can you guys just go down in a dream to Joseph? Just let him know that Herod is going to try to kill Jesus and for them to flee to Egypt. We're good? Okay, thank you guys. Make that happen. And boom, they do it. And here is Joseph taking off, fleeing to Egypt. Now, you don't remember this in the Christmas story because not very many people tell it. This is exactly what happened. The Lord Jesus is born and he is immediately there on the run trying to get away from someone trying to kill him. And they are told to flee to Egypt of all places. Um, So crazy and sad that Herod wants to destroy Messiah already. But he knew the stories in Israel and what the Jewish people believed. That when Messiah was born, he would grow up and become a great political leader in the land and probably take his throne if the rumors were true. And so Herod was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not letting this Messiah grow up, get into politics and try to take over as king here. I'm going to wipe him out now. I'm going to kill this baby. That was his plan. It's interesting they were looking for a political leader then and they're still looking for a political leader now, aren't they? Jesus worldview. And what did Jesus say? I'm sorry. Sorry. I'm not looking to set things right politically. I'm looking to set things right spiritually. You have a way bigger problem and it is a spiritual problem of sin and death. And Jesus came to save us from those things. I know it feels great to live in a country where our morals align and all of our ethics align with God's word and we fight for that and we vote for that. But no president... No government, no person is ever going to be Savior like the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are not to worship anyone in politics. We are simply to vote based upon biblical principles. I have no allegiance, again, to any party. I have no allegiance to any leader. My only allegiance is to the Lord Jesus. As Christians, we are Christians first. We are Americans second. And we should never forget that. Every Christian on the planet gives allegiance to the Lord Jesus first. And so I don't care who it is. I don't care how they're leading. I don't care what they're doing. I'm always going to align with Jesus first and seeing which political leader closely aligns with him. And guess what? That's who I'm voting for. Uh, You won't hear me talking about who I'll be voting for here in a sermon, but you may find it on my Instagram or my YouTube here in the near future. We'll talk about it off uh, sermon, off paper. Let's get back to the Bible. The point being is that there are always people wanting a political savior. They wanted it in Jesus' day, and Herod was like, nobody's going to take over my throne, so I'm going to kill the baby Jesus. This is in our text. But we know that Jesus is not an earthly king, now is he? Though he was king on earth, he is an eternal king, the king of kings, the lord of all lords. We say that phrase fast, but I want to say it slower because I want you to hear it. He is the king over all kings. And he is the Lord over all lords. He rules over every powerful, rich, famous person to ever walk the earth. They are his creation. They are ants on a planet to him. And he lets them, by his grace, flourish at any capacity. That is a common grace on the earth. That the rich can eat good meals, though they are wicked in their hearts. 
that they can have a nice place to live and then do terrible things on the earth. That is a grace, a common grace from God. And he is long-suffering. He allows sin to go on on the earth. Why? Because he wants people to come to repentance. That is his goal. He is not willing that any would perish, but that all would come to repentance. Praise God. Point number two, if you're taking notes, the king of kings is eternal. Worldly kings are temporal. The king of kings is eternal. Worldly kings are temporal. You see, Jesus will live forever and ever. Anybody who comes along will come and go very quickly and we will forget about them. John 18 verse 36, Jesus talked about his kingdom on earth and he said this to a king, a leader in government, a government official. He pulled him aside. Jesus was arrested by the government officials, Pilate. Jesus says to Pilate directly, man, I would like to be a fly on this pillar. It says, Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants, Pilate, would have been fighting for me that I might not be delivered over to the Jewish leaders, but my kingdom is not from this world. It's not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king then? And Jesus answered, Pilate didn't even know he was a king. That's how lowly Jesus held himself. That's what his garbs look like. He's a carpenter. He came from Nazareth. Then Pilate said to him, so you're a king then? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Jesus just told him, the one who listens to my voice listens to truth. Pilate was listening to the purest form of truth on the planet. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. We see Jesus speaking to a government official, a political official here, um, right before his crucifixion, giving Pilate an insight. Do you remember what Pilate's wife did the next day? She comes to him and says, Pilate, governor, I had a dream last night. Husband, listen to me. Husband, Pilate, listen to me. Have nothing to do with this man. You better let him go. Pilate does what? He washes his hands and says, I'm good. I have nothing to do with this. But we know you can't wash your hands of the blood of the Son of God. Pilate, you had your chance. You heard truth. Fast forward to Revelation chapter 19. The resurrected, glorified Christ on the throne. Are you ready? This is who he is. From his mouth, verse 15, proceeds a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. A sword from his mouth can strike down the nations and he will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. The King of Kings, it says, verse 16, his name is written on his robe and on his thigh. It says, King of Kings, Lord of all lords. You do not want to come in contact with that king being his enemy. 
First Timothy 1 verse 17, unto the king eternal, unto the king immortal, unto the king invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Listen, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Oh, uh, all of you things visible on earth and invisible. All of the physical world and spiritual world. Hey, hey, all of you thrones, you game of thrones over there, all of you kingdoms and kings and queens on the earth. Listen up. All of you rulers, dominions and authorities, all of you were created through him and for him. The king of kings, the Lord of lords. Proverbs 21.1 says the king's heart, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he wills. Who's going to stop the Lord God Almighty? Nobody ever. He's just kept on doing his thing, sitting in heaven on his lazy boy throne recliner, eating, popping those Pringles, having a good time. No, it's a terrible picture. That's not who he is. But... He is not worried. He is not anxious. He is not stressed. He is in perfect peace. And he is the king eternal. And no one will stop him. The kings of the earth are temporal. We need to remember he is the king of kings ruling and reigning on high. No one can stop him. The kings of the earth come and go. Few remember them. Their hearts are in the hands of God. And he moves them wherever he wants. Let me ask you, could you just name off a couple kings from like 300 years ago? Come on, any prime ministers, presidents, 300 years ago, go for it. Ready, go. Who was ruling and reigning? No one cares. And we think that these kings ruling and reigning today, people are going to care in 100, 200, 300 years. The only king anybody's going to be worrying about is the king of kings who came 2,000 years ago. He was only on earth for three years in the public eye. We're still talking about him 2,000 years later. I'm telling you, He might be the king of all kings. There was no one here on earth to fear but God. Trust in God who lives forever. Do not trust in the kings of this earth. They will deceive and plunder any time they are given the chance to. Hey, any time a king on this planet magically aligns with the Bible, magically aligns with God, I'm stoked in any fashion or any way, but I do not expect them to. 95, 98, 99% of them are wicked to the core. And we see it. We see it from every angle on both sides. I don't care what side you're on. Wicked to the core from so many angles. If magically someone aligns with Jesus and some cool stuff happens, praise God. But I am not going to align myself fully with any of them. I'm aligning myself fully with God. Psalm 20. Verse 7, some trust in chariots, some trust in horses, some trust in governments. I added that. But we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. They collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand upright. doesn't matter who's in power, Caesar Nero in the first century 
or whatever's going on in this day and age, it doesn't matter. They will collapse and fall, but we will rise and stand upright. The church of God has remained for thousands of years. The word of God has remained for thousands of years. Four, five thousand, six thousand years. It is not going away. You can't wipe this thing out. People have tried. We will trust in the name of the Lord our God. Look at verse 14. It says, and he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt, Joseph, with Mary, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I called my son. So Joseph, Mary, and baby Jesus flee to Egypt for their lives as commanded by the Lord. And it says there specifically in the middle of the night. So they went in secret. They weren't like, hey, everybody, we're going on vacation to Egypt. We'll see you in a little bit. No, no. They fled for their lives in the middle of the night to get out of town. Scholars place this event around 4 BC. Many believe that they only stayed in Egypt for a few weeks. Um, Literally, they were only there for a couple weeks because the Lord was already moving and working behind the scenes on Herod. They were to stay there until Herod died. And if it was only a couple weeks, something happened. Matthew writes down a mystical connection probably taught to him by the Lord Jesus in his three years with him that Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt and coming back to Israel with their free delivered son saved from Herod is a picture or a type prophecy. We have very specific prophecies. Then we have these picture prophecies they called types. Um, It is where we see a picture of a prophecy fulfilled. And again, the Lord Jesus taught this to Matthew, and that's why he's conveying it to us, probably, because it's very mystical. Hosea chapter 1, verse 1 is what's being quoted, um, which God speaks about Israel, his children, his son, being led out of Egypt by the hand of Moses back to the promised land. The picture, Mary and Joseph and the son of God being led from Egypt back into the promised land. That is the mystical connection between the two. Verse 16 says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, King Herod, the king of the world, how would he act? Look at what he does. He becomes furious because the wise men didn't tell him and report back where the baby Jesus was. And maybe news got back to him that potentially uh, the Messiah had fled to another land or was trying to escape. It says, verse 16, one of the saddest verses ever. He became furious and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were there two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah, Matthew writes. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children, She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Another prophecy that is referenced by Matthew, a type picture prophecy of what's taking place. Herod became furious when he realized he had been duped. His answer is to kill all the baby boys in the land under two. This is sick and crazy. I cannot... Imagine all the little toddlers running around, little boys, these little guys being ripped from their mothers and their fathers and killed before them 
or dragged away and killed somewhere else. What did they do with all these babies? What did they do? They killed every two-year-old and under in the region, taking infants. This is mad. This is sick. This is crazy. This is the darkest of the dark. It doesn't get any more wicked. And if this is hard for us to hear, can we not hear the cries of the 50 million babies we Americans have aborted? When Herod kills two-year-olds, they were toddlers. Yes, they were two years old. What in the world is going on? We cringe, but then 50 million babies, we say, eh, well, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a different thing. Oh, give these unborn just two years to live, and we would have the toddlers with Herod. Two years and under, it says. Just born newborns, 50 million little babies gone. Fact check. Data from the Gutmatcher Institute, a research organization that supports legal access to abortion, does indeed show more than 50 million abortions were performed between 1973 and 2011. 50, that's over a million a year. What if we just let these little kids live for one year? We would have 50 million newborns. We just let them live for one year. If we let them live for two years, we would have 50 million toddlers running around. I spoke a lot about this in our last sermon. You can go back and check it out. But this is wrong. This was sin then, and it is sin now to take any life at any time. Murder is defined as premeditated killing. Who are we as people to think we have the power to terminate an innocent life because we don't want it in this world? Why do we think that we have the power to do that? As if we own this world. Herod was furious. And he thought he had all the power. And he says, forget this. I'm taking it into my own hands. This is not happening in my world. I will slaughter all of these babies. I'm going to stop this. So he killed all these little guys. And I can't even imagine. I can't. I literally can't imagine it. I see my little babe Eden. I see my new little son. Um, I just cannot process it. My brain literally won't let me. Um, because right now this little boy is in my wife's womb, but he's going to be here in December and you know, as well as I do, he's going to have a name and he's going to be a real child, a son that is brought into this world and to terminate the baby at this point, this makes no sense to me. I cannot believe that people would go this far and do this. How can we think we have the power to take an innocent life? innocent life. If we have a Hitler on the scene who has killed six million Jews, would not the nations cry out, put him to death? Of course. But an innocent, an innocent life, 50 million, innocent life, America better wake up or destruction is coming. Judgment is coming to this nation. If the people of God do not start drawing a line in the sand and start standing up for righteousness in their neighborhoods, in their communities, in their families, in their marriages, in their cities, in their state, in their nation, you better believe judgment will fall upon this place. We will feel the full judgment of God. The prophecy being fulfilled here is another picture type prophecy, as I said. Jeremiah 31 15 is being quoted, and it's speaking about Israel's mourning at the time of the Babylon captivity. 
Yes, the people and the cries of the kids and the separation of the parents from their kids, all of them being dragged into captivity. Who knows what was taking place? The Assyrians and the Babylonians were very wicked and brutal. The mourning then of the sons and daughters being taken into captivity by the enemy was matched with the cries of the mothers in Jesus' day. And this is what Matthew is matching the pictures, this mystical connection, fulfillment of prophecy. It says, verse 19, But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Joseph, get up, rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the child's life are dead. Wow. We've only been here for like three or four weeks. What happened? How could Herod just magically die? The giver and taker of life said, time's up. You try to take out my savior, I take you out. You're done. It was just a matter of weeks and Herod was dead. Wikipedia talks about his death. It describes it this way. Herod the Great was a Roman client king of Judah, referred to as the Herodian kingdom. The history of his legacy has a polarized option as he is known for a colossal building of projects throughout Judea. If you go to Israel with me as a church, we will see his structures that were built. And as I read these, all of the images flash in my mind. I can see them. Uh, the renovation of the second temple in Jerusalem, he did this. The expansion of the Temple Mount towards the north. The tomb of the patriarchs in Hebron. The construction of the port at Caesarea, he did this. The fortress uh, on Masada, he did this. The Herodium, the, the giant um, place where they raced the chariots, he built that as well. Herod, they, it says, died in Jericho after an excruciating, painful uh, putrefying illness of uncertain cause known to posterity as Herod's evil. The great Jewish historian Josephus wrote those exact words about him. That's how we get insight. Josephus states that the pain of his illness led Herod to attempt suicide by stabbing and that the attempt was thwarted by his cousin. Herod was so tormented by the illness within him, he tried to kill himself with a dagger. Scholars agree that Herod suffered throughout his lifetime from depression and paranoia. Sounds about right. You don't worship the Lord God, you start going mad. Josephus stated that Herod was so concerned that no one would mourn his death. Listen to this guy. He was so concerned that no one would mourn his death. Josephus writes that he commanded a large group of distinguished men to come to Jericho and he gave an order that they should be killed at the time of his death so that the displays of grief that he craved would take place. Listen to this dude. But his son, Archelaus, and his sister, Salome, did not carry out his wish. The Lord's like, nope, you selfish, sick individual. You will die in pain and suffering as you have cast upon these mothers and fathers on the earth. You try to wipe out the Savior, I wipe you out. That's what God said. C.C. Colton wrote this, said this about power. He says, power will intoxicate the best hearts as wine the strongest heads. No man is wise enough, nor good enough to be trusted with unlimited power. And God took him out of the scene so that the king, the eternal king, can come on the scene. Praise God. 
Point number three, if you're taking notes, the king of kings is in perfect peace. Worldly kings sit in paranoia. It's true. The kings of this world are stressed out, paranoid, and anxious about their money, about their power, and about their status. But the prince of peace, the king of kings, he's in perfect peace. He sits back calm and collected, ruling at the move of his finger, the command of his voice. When he says, let there be light, an entire universe comes into being. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth at the command of his voice. Incredible. Psalm 62.5 says, rest in God alone, O my soul, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor rests on God. My strong rock, my refuge is in God. Listen, when your refuge is in yourself, when your safety is in yourself, when you are the only rock for your own life, like Herod, you go mad. Because you can't sustain yourself. You think you're a savior. The ego takes over. The power takes over. And you actually think you can control everything. And when everything goes out of your control. And the savior lives on. Messiah will rise. And take over. Yeah, you start to go mad. You start to get sick inside. In your stomach. And in your mind. In your heart. You get depressed. Because you don't have a king. A savior. And we are all longing in need, in need of one every single day. I need thee every hour, O precious Lord. I need thee, oh, I need thee. I need thee every hour, the hymn says. Psalm thirty-seven, thirteen. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. He laughs. He sits back laughing at the devil, laughing at the demons, laughing at those kings on the earth thinking they have control because their day will come. Augustine said, when God is our strength, it is strength indeed. When our strength is in our own, it is only weakness. When your strength is in you, all you got is your weakness. It's true because your strength isn't really strength apart from Almighty God. Let's read our final verses and we will close. Verse 21 to 23, And he rose, Joseph, and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard of Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream again, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, the Sea of Galilee. Yes, where Jesus walked on water. Where he did most of his ministry. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. And so that was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled that he would be called a Nazarene. And that is where our text ends today. This is how Jesus became Jesus of Nazareth. The family were fleeing from potential threats from those in power. And Jesus, Joseph, decided to take Jesus to a little town over off the Galilee called Nazareth. Jesus grows up in Nazareth, which was half Jewish, half Gentile, a diverse community, a poor and lowly community. Do you remember John chapter 1, verse 46? Nathanael said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Oh yes, Nathanael, something amazing is about to come out of Nazareth. But Jesus grew up in a little town. A little town, and he was the king of the universe. I absolutely love these pictures 
The word nazar is the word shoot or branch. And it says that in the Old Testament, this prophecy being fulfilled, another picture that a shoot or a branch will come from the line of Jesse. That shoot, that nazar is the Lord Jesus. The connection that Matthew is making in prophecy once again. It's beautiful. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes, the Savior of the world, the lowly eternal King. I would not be surprised when we get to heaven, when Jesus is standing there in all of his glory and all of his power and all of his might and all of his majesty, that his sheer presence will call us to cause us to fall on our face. But why will we still feel and sense meekness and humility and servanthood as it says that he will bear the marks of the cross for all of eternity for us to remember his great sacrifice? Absolutely amazing that he will do this for us. Matthew eleven twenty nine and 30. Let this verse wash, wash over you. Many of you need to hear it. Many of you need to receive it as we go our way today. Cling to the Savior, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. The kings of the world have nothing to offer. I'm sorry, Jesus' worldview. We are aligning ourselves with him. He says this to you. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you're feeling like this life is hard and heavy, you are running in the opposite direction. You're running away from Jesus. Jesus says, come, take my yoke upon you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Walk with me. Let me be your Savior. Let me be your Lord. Let me be your God. Bow down and surrender all rights unto him. We are called to be his people. Whether you realize it or not, whether you call upon him or not, he will be Lord. He will be Savior. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess him as Lord. And you can do it now or you can do it later. You decide when. If you do it now, you will be on his side with him for eternity. If you do it then, it may not turn out so well. You may be saying it in rebellion against him as the demons will have to do for all of eternity, because he is the Lord. Even the demons believe he is Lord, but they tremble. They are in fear of him, but they choose to walk in rebellion against him. I want to pray for us today, that we would make Jesus king over our lives, that we would expel the kings of the world. We would turn away from them. We would turn to the Lord Jesus with all of our hearts. Let's turn to him now. Let's pray. Lord, you are the king. You are the king of all kings. You are the Lord of all lords. There is none like you, and you are not a tyrant. You are not a dictator. Wow. You became a servant. You are the most majestic, the most holy, the most awesome, and you lowered yourself down far below us. You took all of sin, the wrath of God upon yourself, the lowest place in all of history, you drank down the wrath of your Father. Our sins, you were treated as if you had committed our sins and we are being treated as if we have committed your righteousness. Lord, how can this be? You declare to us that you love us, 
that you are for us and that you have laid down your life for us. Lord, we gladly turn around and lay our lives down for you. We confess you as Lord. We confess you as Savior. We ask for forgiveness of our sins. We turn away from those sinful ways. We turn to you with all of our hearts. We make you King, Master, and Lord all the days of our lives. We gladly bow to you. We fall down and bow to you. Willingly we serve you. Lord, we rebel against the kings of the earth. And we turn to you with all of our hearts. We will walk in step with you in your commands, what you have called us to all the days of our lives. You alone are king. You alone are God. We love you, Lord. We're thankful that we are in your care. You are the greatest tale of all kings. We love your story. We love your message. We worship you today. We give you our lives. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Family, thank you so much for worshiping with us today and taking in a full chapter, Matthew chapter 2. I hope you enjoyed the tale of two kings. There are a lot of Herods on the earth in this day and age, and I just say, you know what? Uh, I'm getting far away from those guys. And I'm telling you, if any leader on the earth magically aligns themselves with Jesus in any way, shape, or form, I'm telling you, put them in office. Let's take advantage of those opportunities so we can keep preaching the gospel keep loving people, keep bringing Him glory. And if those rights are taken away from us, guess what we will do? We will continue to preach the gospel, continue to love the Lord our God, continue to love our neighbor. Family, may the Lord bless you and keep you this week. May He be gracious unto you and give you peace. Take His yoke upon you. His burden is easy. His yoke is very, very light. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.